Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, you know, both both uh, Jamal Crawford and Austin Rivers, they play out of a lot of kind of one-on-one isolation situations. And, um, you know, they kind of they find a way to get to the paint, find a way to kind of force a little bit of help. And I thought they both did a good job of passing the ball to, you know, open teammates. And, um, you know, they're herky-jerky. They got a lot of, a lot of stuff off the bounce. And, um, you know, keeping them in front, especially, you know, Austin's 5 for 10. And, Jamal Crawford's always a threat to make a three. You know, when that, the threat of the three ball, you know, just makes it harder to keep him front. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 124 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, uh, coming to you live from Phillips Arena. Late on this Monday night, the Atlanta Hawks suffered a 10-point defeat at the hands of the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, 115-105. to uh, This is not exactly an expected result, I would say, for the Atlanta Hawks. As you hear, uh, the intro to the podcast today is Mike Budenholzer uh, at, after the game talking about what happened with Jamal Crawford and uh, Austin Rivers in this game as the Clippers kind of got wherever they wanted offensively throughout this game. And uh, old, old pal Jamal Crawford, especially in the uh, fourth quarter, really sort of, uh, if, if, if he didn't take over the game, it was... It Something, something approaching that, and really kind of got whatever he wanted uh, on that end of the floor. As uh, after Rivers kind of did whatever he wanted in the first half, so wanted to play that audio, to get things started. But uh, Mike Budenholzer was uh, not too not too solemn after the game. I would say I mean, this is a, this is a game in which the Hawks had played. Uh, this is their third game in four nights and a, a very very busy stretch recently for the Hawks. Uh, Budenholzer was asked point blank after the game if he thought fatigue played a part. He sort of danced around that a little bit. He did re- he did reference the uh, NBA schedule rigors, and I will say uh, before getting into the uh, actual specifics of this loss that uh, the Hawks did seem to be flat, especially in the first half. Uh, a lot of a lot of shots that were looking uh, short and a lot of uh, a lot of dead legs. You'd imagine, uh, you know, the Hawks did play all three of these games at home, which should, in in theory, at least lessen the blow. But uh, it's more about um, just getting court minutes, especially for your starters. Uh, all five starters in this game played at least uh, 29 and a half minutes and with Paul Musset going up to almost 38 minutes uh, in this contest. So uh, lots, to, lots to get to here, but I did, I did think that at least a little bit of this game was having to do with some some tired legs for the Hawks, but uh, that was Mike Budnolder that you heard talking about the guard play for the Clippers, and we'll start there. Uh, the defensive performance for the Atlanta Hawks in this game was uh, fairly ghastly, I would say. Uh, in the first quarter, the Clippers scored at a clip of uh, 137.6 points per 100 possessions, uh, and for those of you who might be uh, novices when it comes to advanced stats. That is very, very bad defense. Uh, The Clippers scored 30 points in that first uh, quarter. Also in the first half, the Clippers uh, racked up really kind of uh, monstrous offensive numbers. They scored 58 points in the first half on the way to an 18-point lead. Uh, Austin Rivers, who I mentioned earlier, had 14 points, four rebounds, and four assists before halftime. Uh, and the Hawks trailed by as many as 22 points on multiple occasions in that first half. Uh, uh, 
at a different time during that press conference uh, that Mike Budenholzer had after the game, he was uh, quick to reference the fact that Clippers played very well early on, and I will back that up um, for the game. Los Angeles shot the ball extremely well. They made 14 of their 24 threes and uh, 50% of their field goal attempts in the game on the way to 121.3 points per 100 possessions. Uh, again, that is very, very bad. You know, the worst defenses in the league allow somewhere somewhere around 110 points per 100 uh, on the season. Obviously, in a small sample, things could get much worse than that. But the defensive performance here for the Hawks, especially given the fact that the Clippers were without Blake Griffin and Chris Paul in this game, uh, that was the backdrop coming in. And the big story was that Atlanta was a 7.5-point favorite in Las Vegas because of the fact that the Clippers uh, were missing their two best players. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is still a capable team without those two guys, uh, given the fact that DeAndre Jordan is around. Also, J.J. Redick is a strongly above-average player in addition to uh, both Rivers and Crawford had probably you know far above-average games for them in this game. But uh, Redick, and, Redick and Jordan are uh, you know, two two of the top 50 or so players in the NBA, uh, you know, it's 60 or 70 to be sure. And uh, when you're talking about Redick and, you know, Jordan, Jordan is solid in that top 30, 40 range. So uh, this is still a competent team. I compare this game to uh, the one on Saturday uh, in saying that I was I was kind of surprised that the Hawks were uh, only two and a half point favorites uh, more against the Joel and Beatless 76ers team on Saturday than they, than they were in this game. I think that was uh, kind of a misstep by Las Vegas, and obviously the Clippers ended up winning out right here. But um, just that's sort of a side note, just to say this is not an embarrassing loss. Uh, on the surface for Atlanta, even though the Clippers did enter as a seven and a half point uh, underdog in this spot. But the way that it happened was definitely less than ideal for the Hawks and that they basically could not get a stop throughout this game. Uh, in the second half, uh, Atlanta's offense did wake, did awaken finally after a lackluster first half performance offensively. The Hawks, I did not think played that badly on offense uh, in the first half of this game. They did. They just shot the ball poorly. They shot 13 of 40 in, from the floor in the first half of 32.5%. Uh, a lot of those looks were quality looks that just didn't fall, but uh, there was some scuffling on the offensive end of the court in that first half, and they dug themselves a hole that, you know, 18 points in the half is not insurmountable, but certainly is not likely. And while Atlanta did, did come alive in the second half uh, in scoring, uh, a great, you know, they scored 30, uh, 35 points in the third quarter and 30 in the fourth, so 65 points at after the half was not enough in this game, and that's kind of the nature of the beast when you when you dig yourself a massive hole against a competent team, and that's what happened here. Um, but the second half was actually you know quite encouraging on the whole. The Hawks won the second half by eight points, uh, and the offense was great, but the, the, um, the defense was uh, suboptimal throughout this game. Um, that was a big that was a big uh, takeaway for me, of course. But uh, individually, there's lots of stuff to break down. I thought. Um, Kent Bazemore had an interesting game. I will say he led he led the game uh, led the team in scoring with 25 points. He took 21 shots in this game. Nine of 21 from the floor. Three of nine from three. Uh, did have three three rebounds, two assists, and two steals in the game. I didn't think uh, Kent was bad, so to say. I thought he was okay in this game. Uh, I don't really like that he that he would take that many shots in the game. Although a lot of them were open, I will, I will defend Kent a little bit on that. This, this probably should have been a high volume game for for Bazemore, but he did take a few that were less than optimal. But uh, when he was on the court in this game, the Hawks were plus three, so I thought Kent was okay. Defensively, he had some issues, as you you heard uh, Budenholzer talk about um, at the top of that at the top of the podcast. Uh, Crawford and Rivers were kind of able to get wherever they wanted. While some of that was definitely on Dennis Schroeder and Malcolm Delaney, it was also on uh, both Kent Bazemore and Thomas Cephalosha at various various points in time. Especially Bazemore down the stretch, he had a lot of the uh, Jamal Crawford minutes, and he was unable to uh, sort of crack the code on stopping Crawford down the stretch. But um, some big shots though from Bazemore. He had a big three in uh, during the second half run. His energy was uh, kind of infectious, and sort of the way that he was attacking. Uh, the rim and kind of bouncing around, but uh, less optimal shooting, and I'm, I'm sure people will pick that performance apart despite the fact that he led the team in scoring. 
Uh, Paul Millsap, a, uh, not a great shooting night here for Paul. 5 of 16 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3. Uh, didn't get to the line 8 times, made 7 of them. Uh, as a team, before I get back to Millsap, as a team, the Hawks made 22 of 26 from the free throw line, which is very, very encouraging for a team that struggled at the line this season. Uh, also, you know, Dwight Howard made 4 of 5, which really helps. But uh, guys that have struggled, like Millsap, Dennis Schroeder was 6 of 6. Uh, Bazemore was 4 of 5 uh, as well. So uh, a good a good, uh, a good showing there at the, at the line and one that uh, the, 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 the uh, team definitely needed in order to uh, stay involved and close in this game. Uh, back to Millsap, though. He had uh, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. Sort of a run-in-the-mill Millsap performance in the best possible way. He was The team was minus 8 in the game, and he, you know, his shooting was not good here. But defensively, he was probably the bright spot for Atlanta if you wanted to pick out one. It was, uh, it was Millsap and Howard, to be sure. The perimeter, the perimeter defense was not good, but the interior was just fine. And uh, Paul was okay despite the bad shooting. Um, speaking of Dwight Howard, 16 points, 12 rebounds uh, in the game, two steals, three assists. Uh, I thought he was efficient offensively, you know, six or seven from the floor. Not a ton of uh, involvement from Dwight. Not a shock to me because of the fact that DeAndre Jordan was on the other side, and Jordan is really kind of a, an interesting matchup for Howard uh, offensively, and that they're kind of mirror, they're kind of mirror images of each other. Uh, Jordan is younger, longer. And more athletic than Howard is at this point in time. Howard is definitely stronger, but um, not an easy matchup for Dwight. But he did he did he did a very nice job, I thought, on both ends. Uh, Budenholzer was quick to uh, compliment his uh, his defense on on the interior and sort of the way that he was able to deter some shots around the rim. But the way that uh, you know Los Angeles shot the ball from the perimeter kind of did not, did not allow that to matter as much as it probably would have in a normal circumstance. I thought Dwight was just fine here. Um, Dennis Schroeder. 21 points, 7 assists, and 6 rebounds for Dennis. Uh, also was pretty inefficient, though, much like Paul. Uh, 7 of 18 from the floor. I thought especially early on, Dennis was kind of able to get wherever he wanted to on the court offensively. That's sort of the nature of uh, being guarded by Raymond Felton and Austin Rivers and guys like that. Uh, Schroeder did not take full advantage of that in this in this spot. I thought he was just okay. He probably could have been much better here. But, you know, you can't, you can't really argue with 21 points and 7 assists and only two turnovers from Dennis. So I thought he was okay defensively. Um, I think he continues to be pretty poor this season. Uh, I will talk about on a future podcast. I did, I did some research today. I might even hit on it at the, at the end of this, at the end of this, this particular episode. Um, but Schroeder's defense is really not been very good all year. I've been trying to talk about that as much as possible, but uh, it was sort of exposed here. He was not the only problem, but defensively, uh, he's, he continues to take a, a giant step back from last year, and that's uh, at least a little bit disconcerting, even though even though uh, there's a reason to explain it away, given his offensive uh, workload that he's carrying this season. Uh, top of stuff, Losha just okay, 11 points, uh, three rebounds, only played 30 minutes. He played the least amount of minutes in the starting lineup, and that was sort of a, a matchup-based thing. The Hawks were trailing big in the second half, and Seth Losha, while he's a, you know he's the best defensive wing on this team, he's also the, probably the worst offensive wing. So um, it's it's not it's not a shock to me. You know the Hawks went small quite a bit in the second half. They were playing Dennis Schroeder and Malcolm Lane together at one point, even though they had those two guys with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Tabo at the four at one point in the second half, which was not a bad alignment considering they were trailing and trying to play fast to speed things up, but um, Tavo was okay here, and uh, he's defensively, he was not really the main culprit. Uh, a lot of the time, he was playing against the, uh, the off guy. He did a lot of uh, chasing around J.J. Redick and did a pretty good job there, but uh, worth noting. Uh, the bench was uh, dreadful, I would say, as a whole in this game. That was one of the, you know, aside from the defensive uh, mishaps, the bench uh, production was probably the, other, the second biggest reason why the Hawks lost this game. Uh, Christopher Moore of the AJC tweeted this out uh, at the end of the game. This, this is the season low for bench points in a, in a game for Atlanta. Only 13 points total from the five bench players. 
Uh, admittedly, Chris Humphreys and Mike Scott played six minutes and four minutes, respectively, in this game. The Hawks uh, went very small in the second half, as I noted a minute ago, um, and that kind of uh, took Humphreys and Scott off the, off the court. Um, Humphreys was okay in his minutes, but uh, Scott continues to be you know, virtually unplayable. I tweeted that during the game, and uh, you know, I, I stand by it. I, I think Scott, as currently constructed, is you know one of the worst players that's in a rotation in the NBA. I don't really think he'll be in a rotation when Muscala uh, comes back. Um, but then, you know that's not a shot at Scott, who I thought was actually pretty good last year. But right now, uh, he's never going to be a good defensive player. And if his offense continues to struggle in the way that it has so far this year, he basically is unplayable for a playoff-caliber team. And that's kind of where we are now. I would, I would kind of expect him to go away as soon as Muscala comes back. And even then, uh, he, keeps, he keeps playing these small minutes. That, and Bud kind of sees that he doesn't have it. And then gets him out of there never to return. That happened again here. Uh, the, three, the three main guys that played off the bench, Malcolm Delaney, uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr., and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, Dunleavy was Dunleavy was fine uh, offensively. He, he made both of his shots, but defensively, uh, there was a highlight moment in which he spun around defensively, and I sort of made a, a snide tweet about his defense. Uh, Dunleavy is not a good defensive player right now. There's no way around that. Uh, he's not atrocious necessarily on that end. He is pretty long at six foot eight, six foot nine, but uh, defensively, he's not he's not exactly the guy you want to lean on heavily. Um, offensively, Malcolm Delaney was just uh, not very good here. You know. I think it's a bit misleading to say that he was uh, the worst player on the team considering he did have the minus 15 uh, sort of plus minus in this game. But I thought he was just okay. A couple of bad shots. He didn't make one of two from three, but nothing spectacular from Malcolm after a positive uh, weekend before that. And Tim Hardaway Jr. really struggled in this spot. Uh, one of six from the floor, 0 of four from three. A couple of four shots early on. He did, he did have four assists. I continue to be kind of impressed with uh, Hardaway's willingness to pass and his facilitator uh, ability. Um, you know, that's something that I've really doubted about Hardaway. He's definitely improved in that area, and you've seen that in terms of assists recently. But uh, his shot was not there tonight. And when his shot's not falling, uh, Hardaway's not exactly a guy you can lean on heavily to uh, be terribly productive. So that'll kind of round out the individual breakdown. Uh, all, all three of the uh, DeAndre Bembry, Torian Prince, Gary Neal trio did not play in this game. Not a surprise considering this is a close game. But the Gary Neal experience uh, is could be over in the near future. You know, he's, it's, it's a 10-day contract, and with him firmly out of rotation, it would not be a surprise if he went away uh, pretty soon here. Um, but as for Bembry and Prince, you know, Budnozer is clearly not trusting them right now. Not, not a shock to me, but we'll see if that transpires in the future, especially um, if I, I would say if Muscala misses more time, I'd like to see at least Prince get some minutes ahead of Mike Scott because he, he frankly can't possibly be worse um, than Scott, but we'll see what transpires there. Uh, overall, this is, not a, this is not a disastrous loss for the Hawks. It does break up some of their, some of their positive mojo that was going on uh, before this game and the fact that they had won the two games over the weekend. But simply losing this game would have been probably you know, not, not great, but not awful. Um, losing, the way, losing in the way that they did was not great, and the fact that they trailed by you know 20-plus points in the first half and really kind of no-showed the first half. Um, in the aggregate, though, you know, losing, you know, in retrospect, if you look back at the season, you're probably going to see the Clippers' loss and not really blink an eye. But remembering the context is important, and that um, the two best players for Clippers were out of this game, and that's kind of a, I won't say an atrocious loss, but certainly a pretty bad one for Atlanta. And uh, you know, Paul Millsap got banged up. He had some, uh, I believe, some stitches in his elbow, as reported by Chris Moore in the. Uh, in the post game, and we'll see what what happens there. I, I, I can't imagine Paul's going to miss any time. The Hawks' uh, next game is Wednesday in Chicago, and he came back in this game. I think he just got a, a pretty big, pretty bad cut on his elbow that cost him a couple minutes of playing time in the fourth quarter. But uh, Paul uh, looks to be just fine. Uh, one update on Mike Muscala uh, coming into the game. This is actually reported earlier in the day by Chris Moore, but uh, that Muscala was making progress. That's according to Mike Budenholzer. Nothing firm at this point as of the time as I'm recording on Monday night, but would not shock me if he went to uh, Chicago on Wednesday. It would also not shot me if he did not because the Hawks come back to play at home 
on Friday. Uh, Atlanta is sort of famous for taking uh, uh, taking an extra game or two to give the guys uh, full full time to recover. And because the Hawks play at home on Friday, um, that would be a good spot for Muscala to come back if he's ready to go. But no no firm update there, no public update, other than the fact that Budenholzer said that he is making progress. Um, one note I wanted to hit on before I let you guys get out of here is that uh, the Al Horford scandal, quote-unquote, that took place on Monday. I was uh, bombarded with tweets about this. Uh, a. Sherrod Blakely of CSN up in Boston reported that uh, Horford told him that he, ne- that he never attended an Atlanta Falcons game in nine years um, with, the, with, the Atlanta, with the Atlanta Hawks and that he is, uh, quote-unquote, rooting for the Patriots. Um, this, uh, because I am a, a self-described Al Horford fan, I would certainly uh, understand why people came at me about this. Uh, first of all, I would say that Horford, uh, this is sort of, I have to say this is all sort of tongue-in-cheek because it really doesn't matter at all because Al Horford's not, no longer a member of the Atlanta Hawks, but I'll address it here just because I can. Uh, Horford, rooting for the Patriots, is not a big deal. Uh, he plays for the Boston Celtics. All, 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 all that Al had to say here was that, look, I play in Boston, so I'm going to root for the Patriots. It was the comment about never attending a, Hawks, a Falcons game that sort of got people ruffled, and I understand that. He probably could have handled that better. Uh, without the benefit of a, direct, of a direct quote, I won't kill Al too bad, but uh, definitely is not the, time, uh, the best time to be taking shots at uh, Atlanta sports fans considering the Falcons and all those things, and the Falcons win the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So another another reason to talk about Al Horford on this podcast, and uh, not exactly the greatest one in the world. Uh, that's going to kind of do it for today's show. I do want to hit some uh, RPM stuff later in the week. We'll talk about that. Um, and also uh, maybe a guest. I, I hopefully have a high-profile one coming up that I uh, can't tease with the actual name until I can uh, definitely record that. But it looks to be a pretty high-profile guy. One of my friends that uh, hopefully will be on the podcast in the near future. Also planning a Atlanta Falcons-based show that I'm sure some of you will hate and on this Hawks podcast. But uh, uh, it's, it's probably, the, you know, this will be the one and only time I go uh, deep on another sport. Um, the, the host of the Locked On Locked on Falcons podcast have been willing to do a crossover episode with me that we're probably going to try to get done before the Super Bowl. So keep an eye out for that as I am a, uh, obviously a huge Atlanta Falcons fan. Uh, with that, with all that said, the uh, Hawks have a, an off day on, on Tuesday as they travel to Chicago before a road game against the Bulls, who we just saw on Friday night in Atlanta. So that'll be an interesting sort of rematch thing as they go there. I think the Hawks, um, if, they, if, they, if, if they're not favored in that game, it'll be something of a coin flip in Chicago. They are the better team right now, but of course, playing on the road is nothing easy in the in the National Basketball Association. So we'll keep an eye on that, and of course, we'll be back again on Wednesday with another brand new show to preview that and potentially have a guest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if you're not subscribed already to the podcast, I encourage you to do that, as well as following the podcast on peacetreehoops.com, where I also write, if you like written written Atlanta Hawks content, I write there uh, pretty much every day of my life. So uh, tune into tune into peacetreehoops.com, read myself, Chris Willis, Jeff Siegel, uh, Thomas Jenkins, all those guys, Chris Herbert. There's, there's a full list of cast of characters that you want to listen that you want to read about, as well as listening to this podcast and uh, all the other Atlanta Hawks content that you can get your hands on. I appreciate everybody listening, and uh, stay tuned for Wednesday's podcast. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.